0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good, Terry Rozier. And-
2: What's going on everyone? Welcome into another BuzzBeat episode. I am Richie and we'll be joined by co-host Spencer and Brian today as always. And today's episode, we're going to dive into some media day quotes which took place on Monday and then we're going to continue our one stinging question series. We've started this two episodes ago and we're going to add some more hornets to this. If you didn't catch last week's episode, we tossed around a burning question for PJ Washington, Terry Rozier, Hernan Gomez, and Bacon. We'll probably have at least this one and one more in terms of this series, if not three more episodes in total to continue this. And just a reminder, guys, we are a member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to check in on the co host uh, Brian, how's everything going with you?
3: things are good. I've finally caught up on sleep after getting back from Montreal late Sunday night and a uh, strong recommendation anyone looking for international travel that's you know not not you know you're not having to cross any seas or anything like that but uh, Montreal man one of the coolest cities I've ever been to so I strongly recommend. People looking uh, to to perhaps make travel plans for there it was a great city to take some take a few days off in.
2: Yeah, the only the only place I've been out of the country is um, like on a cruise to the Caribbean, but
3: yeah, uh, right never
2: been to Montreal. Canada.
3: Yeah, been to Canada twice this summer, Vancouver Montreal, and enjoyed my stay in both cities. Spencer, how's everything going with you?
2: Uh, going well
4: going well busy um was doing some traveling myself this past weekend to mobile alabama a little less exciting of a place to, uh, <laughs> than montreal not not much there but uh buddy that i grew up with got married so that was the wedding was good and the, the weather was good so all is well um football season's been pretty unpredictable and but fun um from a college and and pro perspective so yeah been enjoying that and and now it's almost basketball season, so a bummer, I guess,
2: for us, huh? <laughs> yep, media day kind of signals the uh, the start of the new season, and everyone's 0 and 0 and we have hope uh, as, as fans. You know, the excitement is here, and we're going to start off this episode not with media day, but with the one stinging question. Again, we've gotten to Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, Malik Monk, P.J. Washington, Terry Rozier... Hernan Gomez and Bacon. So, the two players that we're going to get to today are Devontae Graham as well as Nick Batum. And so, the first person that we're going to start off with is Graham. We meant to get to him on the previous episode, but we ran out of time. And he definitely had some ups and downs in his rookie season, bounced back and forth from Greensboro and Charlotte a ton. He did play in 46 games for Charlotte last season. But again, he was stuck behind Kemba and Tony Parker for a good chunk of the season. Probably not until like the last 10-15 games did he see more consistent playing time. Uh, You definitely saw his maturity out of the point guard position. But the one question I want to ask you guys, and and we'll address this on our, our segment here. What is the one part of his game that needs the most improvement? I think... Yes, he's a very solid player in a lot of different areas, but there are parts of his game that could get better. You know, he's pretty solid when it comes to leading an offense and directing traffic. He's a low mistake player, rarely turns the ball over. He can play out of the pick and roll, and he threads those needles pretty well out of those pocket passes, out of those pick and rolls. But to me, his biggest need, and you guys might disagree with this, but his biggest need is shooting. You know, he only shot 28% from deep only 51% at the rim, and a true shooting percentage of only 46%, which is really not that great. Um, So just all around needs to improve. And I think he needs to turn himself into a threat out of the pick and roll and force his defender to make a decision. Because right now, if I was the defense against Devontae Graham, I'd be going under every single screen and just worry about trying to recover back out to him to the top of the key. So I know that's in his game. I know he showed that at Kansas, uh, shooting the ball from deep, uh, but you just didn't see it a lot uh, here in Charlotte. So Spencer, what's one part of his game that you think needs the most improvement? Is it shooting or do you think there's something else to it?
4: No, I mean, yeah, I think you hit the the nail on the head there. I think it's definitely shooting. Um, I mean, really from no part of the floor, uh, was Devontae Graham efficient last season shooting the shooting the ball I mean at the rim you know 42 attempts there almost 55 percent. I suppose that's not terrible for a rookie point guard but you know outside of that you know seven of 18 from the long mid-range uh, and then the other three parts of the floor 29 percent 28 percent and then from behind the arc 28 percent respectively that's 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 a real struggle. So, you know, that has to be what what improves. Um, Well said, Richie. Everybody's going to go under, you know, screens or really any action uh, that Devontae Graham's involved in this season. And that's going to be the case for most guys on this team. Right. Like there's really no shooters that you that freak you out on this roster. So the Hornets are going to have a hard time getting to the rim uh, and into the paint in general this season. So uh, that's what's got to improve most for Graham. I mean, the the one shining bright spot for him, obviously, and you touched on this too, I mean, really is a low turnover player. Uh, Devontae Graham, when you you throw it into the filter here, rookie guards last season that played at least – let's see, what was this filter I put in? At least 10 minutes per game and played at least 20 games. He was by far – uh, the leader in assist-to-turnover ratio of 4.03. Uh, the next is uh, old BuzzBeat favorite, Shake Milton, uh, for, the, ah, for, the, <laughs> nice. for the 76ers in, our boy. In, in 20 games. Our boy. So, uh, I mean, that that's the strength and the weakness of, of Devontae's game. I still really like him as a prospect and as a player. Uh, I think that he can be a long-term backup point guard in this league. But, yeah, he's got to learn to shoot the rock because if he doesn't, um, that's a one-way ticket out of the league pretty quick. But I like his game. He's under control. We talked about it last season. He can run an offense, right? Like he can come in, steady the ship, get us into into our stuff. Uh, and really, just not lose too much traction with the second unit. That's his greatest asset right now as a player. But yeah, he's got to learn to shoot.
2: And I, I think he does a great job of directing traffic, especially out of the horn set. A couple of times last year, uh, you know, players were on the wrong side and he, he flip flopped them several times. And you saw him visibly doing that on the court. Brian, I know that you've talked about a different. Type of weakness that he's had, I forgot what it was. I don't know if it was like quickness or or yeah. something. Yeah. So what? So
3: well, the I'll use this to. I think we're actually going to go three for three here because because the thing that I think Devontae needs the most improvement on is his th- is his shot. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious. Look, if you're going to be a guy like Graham, uh, you know, one of the like a sub six foot three backup point guard in the NBA, you've either got to you've got to find one end of the court to be just plus one or plus two at right defense or offense. And I think Graham is a pretty good defender, but perhaps offense could also be his ticket too. And if that's the case, as you, you know as you guys said, he is a low mistake player. Just 1.6 turnovers per 36 minutes to 6.4 assists per 40 minutes. Um Hornet scored just under 1.1 points per possession out of the pick and roll when Devontae was a passer. That's actually a pretty good number on a, on a decent-sized sample, too. But 32% three-point shooting off the catch, and his pull-up three-point shooting was also rather low, uh, under 22% on pull-up three-point shooting. And my thing is this, Devontae's never going to be a, a burner with the basketball. Not that like he's slow, and, and he's not going to ever be super twitchy. He, he obviously, comparing Devontae to Kemba is, is sort of unfair. But, you know, Kemba can create separation. He can blow by people using speed and his twitch and angles. And and I don't think Devonte quite has any of that. And but my point would be that a, a jump shot can help force some of that. You can you can force um, force a hard closeout, and then you, you can attack. Then you can get into the offense with a little advantage created. Or, or Richie, as you said, if, if guys can just go into the screens, then that's going to clog everything up. And if I don't think Devontae Graham's ever going to be a guy that. You know, strikes fear into the heart of the defense when he comes off a screen like he might just light him from fire from 26 feet out. But that would be another – another if he could at least be respectful at hitting those shots, it would make driving lanes a little bit bigger, passing lanes a little bit bigger. And I think it would just open up the floor for Devontae running a second-unit offense. So I think, again, this guy getting closer to becoming a high-30s three-point shooter – could perhaps offset some of the fact that he's not the an absolute track star burner with the basketball, not super twitchy with the basketball. Um, and I think it could perhaps maybe even make him, uh, you know, perhaps even chop down on some of those turnovers a little bit more because it's just going to open things up for offense.
2: Yeah. And he doesn't have to worry about, I guess, playing time this year in the sense that Tony Parker has retired. So he's going to have plenty of opportunity to play here in Charlotte. I know that his contract next year uh, is still very, very low. Uh, It's non-guaranteed. I think it's like $1.6 million. Um, And I'm I'm thinking they're still going to pick that up. He's only 24, 25 years old at that point uh, when that contract comes around. But I know that, Brian, you might have mentioned this in a previous episode where you're a little bit hesitant on whether or not he is a long-term fit as a backup point guard is, is that a concern for you moving forward? Like, does he have to worry about Cody Martin or any kind of future point guard, uh, that could overtake his spot? Or do you think that he's shown enough to at least be a backup point guard in this league?
3: I don't think yet that he's shown enough that I feel confident this guy has, you know, six to seven years of, of backup point guard, uh, runway ahead of him. I think he totally could, right? I mean, like if Devonte played for the next 10 years, and was on some playoff teams in Charlotte or certainly outside of Charlotte. It wouldn't surprise me in the least – but I just think his offensive game has got to pick up beyond where it was. I don't think your your top strength as a as a backup point guard can be you don't turn the ball over that much. I think there needs to be a, a little bit more a little bit more pop there offensively. Um, because as well, I think he's a fine defender. I, I don't think he's like a, a stopper or, or anything like that. So yeah, I think he does have some competition from a similar kind of a veteran guard like Cody, like, like the, one of the Martin twins that's, that's come in and Cody. Yeah. Yeah. Cody that's going to come in and and give him some competition. And Cody's a guy that we know excels on the defensive end of the floor, or at least he did certainly in college. And so, yeah, there will be a little bit of, uh, you know, of competition for, for backup point guard minutes this season um, beyond Terry Rozier. And that's good. That's a good thing. That said, I love Devonte Graham on this roster. I think he's a you think he's a great piece of a young roster and and I hope it works out long term with him in Charlotte. I just don't think at this point we can say this guy's a lock to stick in the NBA for the next 10 years. That's all.
4: And I think that it's definitely 50-50 BG. I'm probably a little bit more a little higher on on him than you are, but I think like a good comp or or at least here's the trajectory he needs to follow is kind of like a Monte Morris in Denver yep. and what he yep. brought to that second unit. I mean, he really added some muscle at the guard position and some stability for the Nuggets last season um, really didn't get an opportunity in his rookie year. And then came in and shot, I think around 42% from behind the arc um, for Denver. And, and here's the thing. Devonte was not like he was a 41% three point shooter. Yes. In college, not the same as the NBA, but on five attempts a game over his career. So like, there's evidence that he can shoot the rock. I, I don't – the one thing just about mechanically about his motion when it comes to shooting, and he is one of those guys that needs time to gather. Yeah. He needs a lot of lift, and he's he's a player that shoots the ball almost like at the apex of his shot, almost when he's coming down. That's one thing I think Devontae could work on. If he could just get that, that release a little bit quicker to where the ball is leaving his hands at the apex of his shot or even on the way up, could really help him increase his range. Because you can tell – range is one of his issues, right? Like, just shooting from mm-hmm. the top of the arc in the NBA seemed like a struggle for him to even get the ball to the rim sometimes. So, But I don't think all hope is lost uh, with Devontae Graham eventually being a 36, 37, 38-point uh, percent three-point shooter.
3: I'm with you. And Morris is a good comparison, too, because, bright another low turnover, backup point guard, and a guy that was a huge, huge factor for the Nuggets. I mean, they had basically the best – a set of bench guards in the league last season with with Morris and, and Malik Beasley coming off the bench. And you're right, Devontae's three-point shooting numbers, uh, his catch-and-shoot numbers, spot-up numbers from Synergy when he was at Kansas. I don't have them in front of me, but I remember looking at them leading around the draft last year. They're really good. Um, so, yes, I think there is there's, there's some perhaps untapped potential there. Albeit a little different against you know NBA level length and closeouts and stuff like that, which as you said, with the other shot complications he has, are are a factor. But I'm I'm with you, and I think Morris is the is like the you know you don't want to call him a facsimile, but because like it's such a. Um, because it, it's it's it's, such, it's it's like the dream scenario that you kind of want with Devontae Graham. So let's 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 hope that that's where he can round into in year two.
2: All right, let's shift to the question for Nick Batum. Uh, Nick Batum did play for Charlotte all last season, but sometimes you would forget that he was actually out there. No secret that Batum shied away from the action this past season. Uh, at times, it felt like he was invisible out on the court. He had a usage percentage of twelve point nine. And if you actually boil it down to the last 10 games, it was 10.9, so even lower than that. Uh, That low number that was already there at 12.9, it got lower uh, towards the end of the season. But he is still going to have a role with this team, I believe, even though he's one of the few veterans uh, on this team and, and they're going more for a youth movement. He is making $26 million a year, so he is going to get some play time, not because of his money, but But I do think he does have a role with this team. He's going to mentor some of the young players, but he will see court time. And my question, BG, I'll just kind of start it off with you. I'll I'll take a back seat uh, to start this question. He wasn't far off last season, but our one question for Batum this year, will he be aggressive enough to average double-digit points this season, maybe like 10, 11, 12 points, or is he just going to be one of those uh, tertiary role players that's not going to get a lot of points on the board here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I do think he's gonna get. The, I think the usage rate will dial up a little bit, and and I think he'll. I do think it's such a low bar to clear. I think he's gonna play enough minutes and and use enough possessions, uh, albeit for 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 no real overall good. But uh, but yeah, I think he'll get to the, the double figure point mark, and he'll shoot enough three pointers. That'll help. I mean, he doesn't really get a ton of easy points. He doesn't get to the line at all anymore. He rarely gets to the rim but I just think with the three ball, which he shoots at a decent clip, and just the overall lack, of other guys to take on the scoring touch and to take up minutes on the, on the perimeter. Yeah. I do think, um, yeah, I do think Nick Batum will get there and it won't, it won't be a, a you know, a good thing or a bad thing. It won't really matter at all, but I do see Nick Batum averaging above, you know, 11 points, 12 points, 10 points, some, somewhere in there. I just think the usage is going to be there. Um, because with Kemba leaving, it, it really does free up a lot. Of shots on the perimeter, but I do just want to mention a couple things with Batum here. Just a couple numbers: Uh, his usage rate from 17-18 season to the 18-19 season dropped by almost five percent, which was one of the top top six number in the NBA. Um, Only 44 touches per game last season, his lowest since he got to Charlotte. During the month of April, 3.7% usage rate in 84 minutes of basketball, uh, zero free throw attempts, only 24 touches per game. And during the months of January to April, 812 minutes, only 22 free throw attempts. And one more number here as well. uh, Batum, after the All-Star break, 18 games for Charlotte. In those 18 games, he took 16 free throws and attempted just 29 shots. In the restricted area. The guy was a ghost last season. He really was. And, and we've talked about that plenty on on this pod or on Twitter before. But despite that, yes, to answer your question, I do think he gets do- to double-figure scoring next season.
4: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, somebody has to, right? And, yeah. Um, and I just think there's going to be a lot of opportunity, like you guys have both said. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I mean, you both mentioned last season was his lowest in usage percentage. Of his career, um, the one thing that I really—and this has been part of Nick Batum's problem, really, his whole career—is turnover, or at least turnover percentage. Um, you know, all, although he only had a 13.2 usage rate last year, uh, turnover percentage was 16.3, which still managed to be the fourth highest of his career. So you got to consider his role is going to increase this year. He's going to have the ball in his hands. He's really one of the few guys on this roster that actually can be a skilled passer so you know right. I'm sure that Borrego is going to try to put him in positions to create some offense but he has got to be more careful with the basketball I mean considering his role last year compared to how much he still managed to turn the ball over it was pretty uh pretty absurd so but you know the shooting numbers weren't awful he was obviously much more of a catch and shoot player last year um if he can keep you know the, the shooting numbers where they were. Uh, and also you know shoot it off the dribble a little bit more you know still managed to to get in that 38 39 40% range from behind the arc you know i think there might be there might be a little bit of chatter by the end of next year that hey hey what about nick batum as a big time expiring contract here in a few seasons you know like he, he's showing mm-hmm. some extra life now nah, i'm just trying to be optimistic but you know, and I think he can play a few different roles on this team, too. You know, he can obviously start, but I think that he probably projects as a guy that's going to come off the bench for the second unit um, and try to, you know, provide some stability with the guy we just talked about, Devontae Graham.
2: Yeah, and speaking of roles, Borrego mentioned this a ton at Media Day and needing more two way players. And I think at least Batum fits the bill here, at least he has the potential to fit that role playing on both sides of the court. I think his perimeter defense last year was probably one of his best in in his career. I do think it was a little bit overblown, but uh, I do think that he was pretty good on that end of the court, Uh, and he's definitely going to be a player that at least fits the bill about buying in on both sides of the court. You know, just inevitably, if he just gets a little bit more aggressive in attacking the rim, I mean, Brian, you brought up those numbers about the free throws attempts. Clearly, he wasn't attacking the rim, and and Borrego's got to see more out of that from him. And then his numbers from behind the arc were good in terms of percentage, but he just didn't take enough. So you look at his like efficiency numbers, you thought this guy would have scored 10 points a game last season, but because he didn't take enough shots and he stood in the corner a lot or catch and shot, you know, did a lot of catch and shoots and didn't attack the basket, uh, he wasn't aggressive enough to get to that double-digit mark. I do think inevitably... His numbers are going to go up, his usage numbers. He's going to get more aggressive this year, and I do think he hits 11 or 12 points uh, per night uh, for this team. Any other last thoughts on Batum? I I just want to bring up
4: what I brought up in the podcast. I don't remember if it was the last one or the one before that, but just following the World Cup. And, you know, I, I, I do think that I saw a guy after France made that uh, comeback against Australia and I think, what was the third-place game. A guy that was, was very happy with his performance in that game and very happy with his experience, you know, over there. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Batum surprise people to start the season. Again, I just think that stuff matters. I think inter- international basketball matters. And it might have come at the perfect time for a guy like Nick Batum, who's obviously had a uh, back-to-back pretty putrid season. So I, I just think that's something to watch. I think his spirits might be a little higher to start the season
2: all right guys let's take a break i want to let you guys know about indochino indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe indochino is the world's largest made to measure menswear brand they make suits shirts coats and more and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit the best part
4: is that they are affordable and the process is simple choose your fabric pick your customizations and submit your measurements Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at the nearest Indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at Indochino.com.
3: Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com while entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, and this is important, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit.
2: When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. So many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation
4: works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. They even offer big discounts on shipping cost. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies.
3: And right now, BuzzBeat listeners can try ShipStation for free for 60 days when you use offer code BLUE. B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in blue. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code blue. ShipStation.com, make ship happen.
2: Okay, we're back from the break. We are going to talk about Media Day, which occurred on Monday, and we're going to get into some quotes about specific players. We're clearly not going to run down the list of all the players on the roster. But there were some interesting quotes and some sound bites from the players, from James Borrego. I think we need to start with what I think is, and I'm sure we had this con- we had this conversation prior to the recording, the most interesting player that was kind of talked about at Media Day was Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Uh, there's a couple of quotes out there that were really interesting when asked about where he fits in with this rotation, with this roster, he simply replied, I don't know. Also, when he asked if he's received word about his role, he did not comment. No comment on that question. Rick Bennell also tweeted, though, that Marvin Williams says that James Borrego has been great about communicating with the veterans when where they stand in a situation where he's going to play the young guys more. So, clearly it's been communicated to MKG. Maybe he's just not happy about the response and we've talked about this on previous episodes it feels like mkg i i would say his run you know is kind of coming to an end here but he's still so young and i think the future on on this team doesn't look very bright for him but could either of you guys make a case for him to be a pivotal role for charlotte this year or do you think his time kind of has run its course here and and what do you think about the quotes in general just him not really commenting on his role with this team? Well, you know, I I think it's interesting.
4: Um, MKG has a history of being a little bit more quiet when it comes to the media and almost awkward at, at times i don't know if that's the right word so i, I really don't want to read like is it part of that yeah. because of his like stutter yeah you know? yeah i think part of that is you know self-consciousness of a of stutter and, and i just don't hear him talk very much so i don't know if, if that's improved i, I don't want to really speak to that too much but he's not been like a, a you know out in front really talk to the media guy traditionally so The fact that he was short with his quotes in the first place doesn't surprise me just from surface level. Um, But on the same token, he's clearly a player who is um, disappointed in probably how his career has gone, certainly here in Charlotte, um, had a $13 million player option coming into the season, very, very likely wanted to go somewhere else and start new, but couldn't turn down that number, right? And that's... uh, that's a tough. I mean, look, thirteen million dollars. Like, you can only feel so bad for the guy, but it's also It also is a tough spot to be in because, you know, you only have so many cracks at this thing as a professional basketball player, and he probably sees the writing on the wall for him in Charlotte. The other thing I would mention is is Kemba Walker and Michael Kidd Gilchrist were were best friends. Um, I, I would assume are still really good friends. So I, I would imagine that's something that's not something we've talked about. I'm, I'm kind of surprised nobody asked him about it. Maybe they did, and I I didn't hear it. But you know how much that affected him, you know, watching Kimba leave. uh, I know they were really close. So, you know, Richie, I don't really have, uh, to to answer your original question, I think Brian has a better case here because I've seen him mention it a lot about where MKG can fit in. So I'll I'll save that for him to talk about. Um, But it would be nice to see Borrego find some sort of role for Kid Gilchrist this season because I I do still think he's a guy who plays harder than 99% Uh, of the guys that he shares the floor with on his team and the opposition. Um, You know, I I still believe in his ability to, to be a good defender. Um, You know, I know there's some, some mixed opinions there. Uh, uh, How good of a defender he's been throughout his career. And, you know, I I still think that MKG and and look, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but last year he made more threes than he had any other time in his, uh, in, in his career. And he showed some potential from that corner spot. So, I don't think the tank is completely empty on this guy as a player, and I actually do think that the Hornets could rescue some trade value with him as an expiring contract for a player who's who's not very old and can still guard and uh-huh. ev- and is a wing, and everyone is looking for those kind of guys in the NBA. So I, I just think there's still a there's still a universe in where you can trade him for something, but he's got to be on the floor. Okay, getting some tape, showcasing he can defend wings still at a high level, and he's got to be in that corner spot knocking down some threes. That's how a team like Houston is going to say, hey, we need him to go guard, You know, insert your wing in the Western Conference. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it's still possible.
2: Uh, yeah, Brian, I'll, I'll let you jump in here because I know you have a case maybe in terms of uh, making MKG a role in this team. And I think what's interesting to me is that Borrego keeps stressing being able to play on the defensive side of the ball – and there's not a lot of players on this team that can. I think out of anyone on our team, probably between MKG and even Marvin at his age are probably the most well-rounded players on the defensive side of the ball. So if, if you're really stressing the defensive side of the ball, MKG's got to be in the conversation in terms of just shutting down the wing position. And I know we're going to talk about a player that he views as someone that should be able to shut down the wing position. Uh, but MKG has always been that guy for us. But it just sounds like this season, even though he's getting paid $13 million a year, uh, he's not going to be seeing the court a whole lot. uh, Just because the wing position seems to be kind of filled up with some of the younger players and players that we're trying to move with uh, in the future. But you're right, Spencer. Like If he doesn't showcase anything, it's going to be hard to trade him to begin with. So Brian, I'll let you jump in here. Can you make a case that maybe he should be playing for Charlotte this year?
3: Yeah, I mean that it should is is a, is a, is an interesting like a I don't know if he should, but there's a couple couple sides to this to this question I think, and one is this, and I would also say in terms of obviously Cody Zeller is not a wing defender, but like he Cody Zeller is Charlotte's best defensive player. Um, just to th- throw that out real quickly. But yeah, Spencer brought up. More three-pointers for MKG last season, an attempt rate of 14%. Nothing crazy, right? But that's that's a high. That's a career high by by a lot. And uh, he shot 34% and shot above uh, 42% from the corners. Not again, low volume, but at least there was something there. Maybe he even got a little bit better uh, over the off season. And I do think it's interesting because all last season, when he got off to a hot start, coming off the bench and being, you know, Charlotte's Draymond Green, East Coast Draymond Green, or whatever, that we even sort of kicked the idea: could this guy maybe opt out of his contract and then go get more money in the off-season? Twenty-nine. Now we we shot that down pretty quickly, but he he came out out of the gate so hot the first I don't know third of the season last year, quarter of the season somewhere in that somewhere right. in that range. And a lot of that was with him playing almost exclusively at the four and some de facto small ball five. And Richie, I remember earlier this summer, I think it was in August before we took a break, and I think it was just you and I did did a podcast, and it was you had sort of like mapped out ro- the rotation and the minutes, like where guys were going to play. Yep. And one of the one of the spots was there's basically nothing but for MKG, you know. Uh, there's you know maybe you could find him a couple charity minutes each half, but I don't think that's going to be enough. And for a guy like MKG that needs playing time until he can he can get into a flow and show off his effort and have an impact on the glass or in transition or defensively, the the one one of the the one area where I felt okay, I'm willing to take a, some minutes away from this spot. We're from the center area. And now I think we have some interest in seeing P.J. Washington play some time at the backup five, which Richie, you and I talked about last week too. Cody Zeller said he's healthy and ready to roll, so we assume we assume he's he's being forthcoming there and that he is in in good shape. And let's say you know he's going to play even if he gets injured, he's going to play X number of games and minutes. But beyond that. And you don't need Bismack Biambo playing. You don't need Willie Ernan Gomez really playing. Maybe you're still trying to see if you have something in, in in Aaron and Gomez, but I think that I think that's already, you know, that line's already been cast. With MKG, at least you have a guy on there that has some experience guarding fours and fives that is a good rebounder. Yeah, you're gonna give up some some size on the glass and at the rim protecting it, but you know, Aaron Gomez is, is an awful defensive center. Bismack <laughs> Biombo is, is a bad defensive center, even though he blocks some shots and he, he tries really hard. Yeah, who cares? Why, what does it matter if you play small? This team's going to lose like 75% of its games anyways. I just think that's a way to, to – it's almost like – not like they owe it to MKG – But that's a way to to give him some minutes that are serious. You can say you're still a rotation player here. You don't feel like you're just wasting away for another year. Um, We're going to give you some minutes of the five. And we think because you're you're a hard worker and we've got young guys that are playing at your position, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, we want your work ethic to rub off on these guys. Well, it helps to have you engaged as a veteran and playing next to them and in the locker room every day, even if it is getting your ass kicked. You know, four times a week, you know, that's still a good thing for these young 21 and 20 year old power forwards to learn from a guy like MKG, who literally just turned 26, but he feels like he's, he's 30. And perhaps that's a way Spencer mentioned this on Twitter the other day, perhaps that's a way to audition MKG to an extent to an extent. And, and showcase that this guy is it has a ubiquitous skill set and brings defensive upside and in the playoffs when things slow down or when lineups get smaller or whatever this is a guy that can that can guard four positions five positions somewhere in that mix and for you know it, Spencer brought up the Rockets I mean they're interesting a team like Portland that is sort of like lacking big three and a half wings now that Aminu and Harkless are gone like there are there are it's un unlike, it's unlikely it's a hard it's a hard needle to thread but i don't think it's it is necessarily uh out of the question that you can't find it this guy's career is just uh he's completely used up like i think he still has utility but it is it is really hard to fit a guy like mkg you know a, a 67 guy that doesn't shoot threes Uh, into into a rotation like those guys just don't really exist in the nba anymore um and but the one thing i would just last thing i would add on here is that i totally understand why mkg opted in even despite all these difficulties and all these challenges that were obvious over the summer because he's just he's not going to make 13 million dollars again in a year while playing basketball And, yeah, it might might take him – he might need three more years beyond this one to even make up $13 million. So I get why – I absolutely get why he did it, although I can see there are some personally some serious downsides for MKG as a basketball player specifically. Yeah, and I think, you know, playing him at the five,
2: kind of going back to your original point, Brian, I think where MKG struggles the most is clearly on the offensive side. If you play him at the five – maybe that can unlock some things on the offensive side a little bit more where there's more room out on the floor, unless he's playing with the traditional big where that room is kind of closed up a little bit. So let's transition to Dwayne Bacon real quick. Uh, more about defense. James brego came out and said that he must be able to defend the top wing. And, and we saw... Several games last year, I remember one in particular, uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, in which he had to guard him. I think he hit the game winner uh, in Bacon's face, but I don't think that was bad defense per se. But we've seen him kind of go through ups and downs, some waves on the defensive side of the court. I know, Spencer, you keep harping on Summer League, and yes, it's Summer League, but still he did not show enough on that side of the court. Spencer, do you think this is going to come to like fruition here where Dwayne Bacon's going to be that type of player that can defend the opposing team's top wing, or is there just a long ways to go with him
4: he He certainly has the build you know the body type to be a solid wing defender um, you know I, I as you mentioned i was I was just annoyed watching him play <laughs> defense in summer league, just hmm. kind of loafing through you know a lot of plays and sequences um out there i mean the whole team was was not good defensively, and I understand you you 're just you know, you're just starting to flirt with, with getting your stuff in um, as a coach and getting your schemes in. Um, but I, that that was disappointing. You know, I, we've talked about it a lot. This team's going to be pretty terrible um, on on defense this coming season. And if I was a coach, I don't know that I would be going out and, and – um, admitting or or suggesting that Dwayne Bacon would be <laughs> my uh, my top defender if I just watched the Summer League film, which I'm sure Borrego uh, did. So I, I was a little surprised to hear that. But, look, I mean, Bacon has the potential. Um, I, I wonder about him and his drive as a player from time to time. He's, he's very, very active on social media. <laughs> that is what it is. We'll see. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to just – have to take the wait and see approach on Dwayne Bacon
2: because yeah. as high as I was on him last year, um, I, I really was disappointed in his performance this summer. And Borrego also mentioned him becoming more of a playmaker and I mentioned also on the previous episode about him having the ball in his hands and having to work a little bit harder uh, and if he can't you know, make plays for himself, make plays for others, on that end of the court it's going to be more difficult for him. Let's transition to Malik Monk. Spencer, you were not here when we discussed this but obviously we talked about Malik Monk, how he went from about 180 pounds to 200 pounds over the offseason. He skipped Summerling to go work on his body, and I think the biggest area where this is going to see dividends is on the defensive side of the court. He's not going to be pushed around. He's going to be a player that probably needs to play with a taller point guard, or if he's the point guard, he needs to play with a shooting guard that can also defend multiple positions. So I think that's where it benefits the most. I know Brian and I kind of discussed it. If you're just putting stock in the fact that he gained 20 pounds over the summer and he's going to be a changed basketball player, I think you're going to be fooling yourself a little bit. Uh, But what are your thoughts on Malik Monk skipping summer league for one, but also coming out, working on his body, getting in better shape, and getting up to around, or just over, 200 pounds?
3: Yeah, it's good to to hear that he added the weight. We talked about about this a little bit last week. I mean, the main thing would hope that it makes him a little bit stronger, you know, on drives, trying to get to the line, and then especially on the defensive end, where he where he's had plenty of issues, not all of which are that Malik just gets overpowered. I mean, he's got it's a it's a maze for him on that end of the court in terms of positioning and footwork and stuff like that. Um, he even had a quote that I thought was a little interesting too. He said, "quote I've been preparing myself the last two years for this opportunity. I've been waiting." And that's what you have to do sometimes. So this is a guy that he's saying all the right things. I think if he had also just been at Summer League around the team, like he would have been checking off all these boxes that at the least, at the absolute least, would have gotten people excited for him heading into the season. right? Like he would have been around the team, young roster, adds, adds some muscle, says the right things, etc. So he's checked a few of those boxes and, and good for him for packing on some weight assuming it you know that that is a legitimate number and uh, and yeah with Malik this is a big year for him as we've discussed before yeah, I think it really sets up what will be the trajectory of his career because he's certainly not a finished product he's just 21 and a half years old but this will really be uh, to, this will determine you know is Malik gonna be just a forgotten Gunner that you know moves around on a couple different teams or can this be a, a, a dude that is instant offense off the bench or could even become a, a, you know, starting two guard in the NBA. And and that's maybe not totally fair to, for a guy that's had a tough situation on a, on a losing team the last couple of years and to come into the NBA at such a young age and be behind Kemba. And I don't think those guys had a bad relationship, but it certainly never seemed like they, like they clicked and, you know, Kemba took him under his wing and they were best friends or whatever. I mean, I think it, I'm not trying to say it was, it was bad. It's, I think I'm sure it was fine, but, um, but yeah, no, I think this is this is a big opportunity for Malik. You know, maybe it won't be pretty this year, but I would like to see him play with the ball in his hands as much as possible, um, just to see what you have because you got to find out this year. This is this is when you really gather information on Malik Monk.
4: Yeah, well, I just wanted to add real quick. I, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that he worked on his body. I'm glad he put on weight. He definitely needed it. Certainly defensively, but you know, with with a young core. Um, the opportunity that he has this coming year, but all these these new faces are going to have to play all these serious minutes and almost all of them were at Summer League where he could have gone, been with yeah. those guys, built synergy, like, but no thanks. i got to work on my – like, I just – that part I don't understand and I'm very interested to see what is – how his teammates treat him to begin the season in training camp and how Borrego, Borrego treats him. I know the conventional wisdom is, like, you have to give him minutes. There's no excuse now. Don't be surprised if, if he ends up on the bench more than you think, especially to start the season. <laughs>
2: All right, let's transition to the last player, also part of this young core, uh, Terry Rozier. Uh, he had a lot of comments uh, at Media Day, and I think the biggest thing that I took from it, he just doesn't like the comparisons to Kimba or really having to fill his shoes because it's really unfair to him. They are different players, and uh, you know, I get that he's replacing Kimba in the starting point guard role. And I get the frustration. And here's a direct quote from him. He says, I respect the hell out of Kemba. When I play against him, I'm going to give him my best, and I know I'll get his best. But Kimba, I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me about Kemba. So he's coming in with a lot of fires, not laying down, playing with this chip on the shoulder. I really don't know how to feel about this like mentality. I mean, I love what he's saying. But I think as fans, we know that this team really isn't expected to really go anywhere. Uh, but he's coming in like they're going to be competing for this eight seed. So, Spencer, what are your thoughts on this like fiery mentality that he's coming in with?
4: Yeah, I mean, I love it, and it terrifies me, right? I mean, which is kind of what you just said, I guess. Um, no, I, I mean, I do, in all seriousness, I do like that Terry Rozier carries himself uh, – as the underdog and carries himself as a guy with a real chip on his shoulder I mean I I think that is a good trait to have regardless of what he ends up being from here um I just want to see him have that fire on a consistent basis and I want to see him lead with that fire and I want to see him pass that on to some of these younger guys on this team that I think need it Dwayne Bacon being example number one I mean Really talented player again has the body to be in the build to be a nice NBA wing, but sometimes I miss some of that fire from him. So so hopefully you know Rozier can pass this on, you know, and and I kind of I, I kind of am believing in it a little bit. Like I am subscribing to the idea of Terry rosier being an above average leader uh, for a young group as a young man himself. So I, you know how how well will he shoot the ball this year? You know how. How many times is he can turn the ball over? That remains to be seen. On a on a bad roster, a lot of these numbers probably aren't going to look very good. But I do think there's there's a there's a chance and there's a world in where he can have a positive impact from a player development perspective for himself and other guys this season. So I, I kind of like these quotes. I do.
3: Yeah, the old, the one thing I'll add, I can understand why he would be frustrated or annoyed or with uh-huh. the with the Kemba comparisons and stuff like that. I will just say because of how this summer went and because how their, those transactions are linked as essentially as a sign in trade or not essentially it was a sign in trade like they're going to be they're going to be connected and that's not fair to, to Terry Rozier cuz he's not um, you know, an all NBA level guard, but that's just going to be the case. Like those guys are going to be connected. He's going to be the the point guard, the, the the guy with the basketball the most and probably the highest usage rate in Charlotte after Kemba leaves. But yeah, I agree. You're right. I think this is the right attitude to take. Um, And I think the way it will be perceived will have a lot to do with what the on-court product is. Um, which as spencer said and as we've discussed before on the pod like there's some risk to it cuz it could be ugly this year in charlotte and i think with this type of attitude um, you know I, I don't think there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with it i'm just saying how i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised to see people in the media Fans of the team, whatever, uh, interpret it the wrong way. Again, that's that's if that's like that's that's me extrapolating this one quote a lot, right? So I don't I don't want to I don't want to, to do that. I'm just saying, or I could see a scenario where things play out that way. But hey, you know, maybe Terry plays plays well. Um, my hopes are my hopes are are not high in that regard. But <laughs> we'll see when they start actually playing basketball games in a couple weeks here.
2: Yeah. It feels like the new season's going to be here soon enough, Brian. And uh, we wanted to thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Buzz Beat. Be on the lookout for our episodes to continue to release on Wednesdays. I hope that's easier for you all to kind of be on the lookout for that. The Hornets will actually be playing somewhat of a meaningful game, a uh, preseason game on Sunday versus the Boston Celtics, uh, Kimba's new team and TD Garden. As always, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. Go ahead and take that minute out of your day and do that for us if you haven't done so already. For Spencer and Brian, I am Richie. We'll see you guys next time. Go Hornets.